0: I want to go through some scripture with you, and uh, it's the, a common passage—the Transfiguration. Um, and this this passage was very precious to me this week, and I'll, I'll tell you why as we walk through it. Jesus had uh, been having some uh, challenging conversations in the previous chapter of this particular passage where the Sadducees and Pharisees had been wanting a sign from heaven from him. Now, you have to remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural. So this was more just a a straight out challenge to who he was declaring himself to be. And uh, they were were after him. And then you have the situation where Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter comes out with this incredible, you're the Christ. You know, he gets it. But then in the next moment, when Jesus saying is telling him that he's going to have to suffer and die, Peter challenges and says, no, not you, Lord. And, and Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. So <laughs> even among his own group, he's not necessarily being understood particularly well. And he does tell them very specifically that he's going to die. He's going to rise again. And then he tells them, you've got to take up your own cross as well. You've got to be willing to embrace this. And so um, that said, uh, it's about time for a break. And so he takes Peter, James, and John, and they head up into the mountains. And this wasn't uncommon for him to get away. I think he'd have enjoyed the UP just getting out and getting into a, a place of quiet and solitude to reflect. And uh, it reminded me again of kind of what's taking place in the isolation that we're in, where a lot of the outside noise has been slowed down. And uh, so anyway, he he took these disciples, he went up onto the mountain, and it says there he was transfigured before them, where his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, which is a, a powerful thing. And in that, then you have both Moses and Elijah showing up. And so, um, you know, the disciples are overwhelmed. In fact, it says at one point that in one of the other um, uh, scriptures that they had been kind of groggy, sleeping, and and Peter, you know, wakes up and he shows you know, I'll build three booths, one for each of you. And, uh, you know, he's he's trying to to serve. He, he recognizes a powerful moment, and he's doing his best to say, you know, I'll help out however you want. And um, in this, uh, you know, both Moses and Elijah had had kind of fire experiences, and Moses had been up on Mount Sinai when when he received the the Ten Commandments, and they were chiseled out in stone. And it says when he came down, his face shone, and he didn't even know it. So he'd been in the presence of God, and and his face is glowing. And it's kind of an interesting thing. It, It freaks the people out. He ends up putting on a veil. It says that when he goes in the tabernacle, he takes off the veil because he's in the presence of God. But when he comes out, he keeps putting the veil back on. And uh, it's just kind of a different thing. And and Elijah had had his own experience when he was caught up into heaven, where uh, a chariot of fire comes down and fiery horses and and collect him and go up to heaven. I remind you, neither Moses or Elijah had an ordinary death. It just said of Moses that he wasn't found, that he went up in the mountain. It was his time to die. But he wasn't found, and it's it suggested that he was just taken right into heaven. So that said, you, you've got these three awesome characters, and yet when um, the cloud comes down and overshadows the situation, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my dear son in whom I take great delight, listen to him, there's a uniqueness about this situation where in a sense, Jesus is being declared greater than Moses and greater than Elijah, greater than the greatest uh, prophet of the old Testament and one who brought the law greater than the, uh, the prophet who carried out all of the wondrous things like Elijah and who Elijah was supposed to come back. And, and so you have the, both the, the beginning and the end, so to speak, and yet Jesus is seen in this moment as being unite, unique, and even greater. And when the, the disciples heard this voice saying, This is my son whom I love and well pleased, they're just overwhelmed. They threw themselves with their faces onto the ground. And then you have Jesus touching them and saying, Get up, don't be afraid. And all they see is Jesus. And so, even through the several thousand years of history, what's being stated to us is that more than the prophets, Jesus is the unique Son of God. There's something very special and powerful about his life that is greater than anyone else's. Um, I share this story uh, where this last week, I, I, I kind of worked myself into a dark place. Um, I tend to try to keep up on on things like what is uh, science doing in, in relationship to say creation or evolution? What are people thinking in regard to spirituality and current things? And one of the guys I follow is Joe Rogan, who is a a fairly profane man, but he's a searcher, and um, he's had some mystical experiences while on DMT, a, a form of drugs, and you know he's had supernatural encounters. He just is unwilling to define and you know who Jesus Christ is in present day, and and oftentimes people he brings on are talking about you know, moving on from traditional religion into newness and, and, you know, getting beyond this. And, you know, there are times too, when, when he's got guys on who are talking about an an asteroid hitting the earth 12,000 years ago. And before that being, you know, a a really an extremely intellectual society that was destroyed. And, you know, I could easily see that happening pre-flood, you know, and, and people talking about floods. And, and there seems to be the possibility of, of synthesis for some of these ideas. And yet, in that moment, you're you're brought to a place of going, okay, who's right? And when I come back to a passage like this, and I'm recognizing Jesus was stated as being greater than Elijah, greater than Moses a voice calling out from heaven saying, this is my son. This makes him different than anyone else. And this makes his message different than anyone else's message. And so it was one of those powerful things to come back to and just say, okay, Lord, you know, thank you for delivering me out of this dark moment, even, you know, where, you know, you're, you're suddenly saying, I've walked myself into a place where, In this moment, I'm not feeling or sensing anything. And yet, you bring me back to your scripture, and there's this kernel of truth that starts to grow. And again, say, Yeah, I'm at peace. This is right. And I can keep walking forward in this with the hope that others find Christ, even like a searcher like Joe Rogan, who, you know, again, is is looking at everything that can be looked at, a great interviewer, but is yet to come to terms with that Jesus is the unique son of God. Um, That said, I want to go to some of the, you know, the disciples, Um, they're coming down from the mountain, they ask him, well, Jesus, you know, well, isn't John the Baptist, or isn't Elijah supposed to show up again and Jesus says, well, he did through John the Baptist. He said that he was like Elijah. And he says, the scripture is fulfilled. And they get down to the, the base of the mountain, and they, they meet up with the other disciples. And the disciples have run into an encounter where a, a, a couple parents have brought a, a child who's demon-possessed and keeps throwing the child in the fire there's seizures and and they've been asked to cast out the demon And, and i remind you they had cast out demons previously but in this situation it's not working for them and you know all that's really happened is there's a really big mess going on and so they come down and and uh jesus has told them don't don't tell about this till later but Jesus, in the midst of this situation at the base of the mountain, he he casts out the demon with the word, and then the disciples come back to him later and say, Lord, what happened? Why didn't this work for us? And Jesus makes kind of a blanket statement. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I endure you? And so, in this moment, I don't think he's insulting the the disciples but he's just he's making a, a statement about humanity where he's going unbelief runs heavy in us and there's a perversion that overwhelmingly is a part of our uh, our society and he it, The Holy Son of God is just saying, (laughs) while he's on earth, this is an endurance thing for him. He's having to put up with more than he wants to put up with. And yet he comes back and he says, your faith was little. And he says, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to be moved. And, And I'm looking at that and I'm having to look at it and say, yeah. There are definitely times when my faith is smaller than a mustard seed. But how do I get past that? You know, how do I move away from unbelief? And how do I move into a confident walking of faith? And, and part of that, you know, is dealing with unbelief that sows its seed in my life. Part of that is dealing with the perverseness that I've embraced as a part of our culture you know, and and for each one of us we we're, we're in the process of moving away from that and allowing our faith to grow in the lord um, johns later on when he's writing his epistle one of the ones that had been up there on the mountain he's making a declaration he says what we've heard what we've seen what we've touched that's what we're declaring and testifying to you so he's saying We're sharing our experiences so that you can have fellowship with us. But more than that, he's saying, We want you to have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the reason that he's been writing out the gospel and the epistles, he's saying, We want you to participate in this. And a little bit later in that same chapter, he says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we're a liar. And this truth's not in us. But if we're willing to confess, we're willing to come to that point and say, I've done this wrong. I've been doing these things poorly. You know, forgive me. Forgive us. You know, cleanse us from the perverseness that we've participated in. And he says he'll be faithful to do that. Um, Peter does a similar thing in his epistle. He says, we didn't follow cleverly concocted fables. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his grandeur. He received glory and honor from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory. This is my dear son in whom I'm delighted. So he's drawing them back to the mountain experience that he had. And uh, you remember when they fell down and, and, and the voice speaks? They, in a sense, were recognizing that they were hearing the actual voice of God. And there was was a common belief among people that you step into the presence of God, you're going to die, that they were walking into something so far beyond them that all they could respond with was shock. And so Peter's writing later on, he says, this is what we encountered. And he goes on to say, we possess the prophetic word as an altogether reliable thing. And what's he talking about? Well, he goes on and says, no prophecy of scripture ever came about by the prophet's own imagination. For prophecy was, um, they weren't born of human impulses, rather men were carried along as they spoke the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit spoken by God. In other words, The scripture that we hold is the word of God, precious to us, describing the unique Son of God, that we might live a different life and be transformed. Paul, when he was going back and and rehearsing in his mind the transformation that had taken place through Moses, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, You know, when Moses' face was glowing, it was with a form of the law that really wasn't even final. He says what he had was preparing people for Jesus, but it wasn't the fullness of things. And he says, yet what has happened for us and what happens through the Spirit is that we are being transformed. And there is a reflection of the presence of God in our lives. And we are being transformed from one glory to another by the Spirit. And as I was thinking about that, how awesome that even when we walk into dark moments, we may not have headed into there intentionally. It may be a form of test. It may be a temptation. But there are moments when we walk into darkness and we're going, I need something in the way of light to bail me out and thankfully we have the scripture that brings us and anchors us and allows us to to once again declare this is truth and the presence of God and the spirit of God speaking into our hearts in a way that lets us know yes i am anchored i have truth what a wondrous and beautiful thing that is so i declare to you again Jesus is the unique son of God. There is none quite like him. There's no philosopher, there's no religious teacher, there's no prophet that equals who he is. And our primary contact comes through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit whom he sends to us. And through that we have opportunity of having our lives transformed. What a wondrous precious thing that is. And so Lord I would ask for each of us that as we confess our sin, as we declare ourselves needing of your transformation, as we recognize that there are perverseness or perversities within us and the need for your transformation by you, that you are willing to do such through your Son Jesus Christ. We thank you for his uniqueness. We thank you that you sent him to earth for us. We give you thanks this morning.